Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today the spotlight shines on award-winning violinist and composer Alin Hamzi. Alin joins us on the occasion of the release of her first solo record, Eclipse, which is also the debut album with her group Alin's Etoile Magique. Alin is known as one of Canada's finest jazz violinists. Her music has been performed by the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, Swedish guitarist Miko Hilden, and South Korean bassist Yang Woo Cho. She is also interested and committed to the cause of economic justice in the arts, creating opportunities for patrons of all economic levels to attend live events and finding new funding mechanisms to get musicians paid a fair wage for their work. Alin spent the summer of 2023 performing with Etoile Magique at festivals across Canada. Please stick around until the end of this episode for the track Circa Herself, by Aline's Etoile Magique from their debut album, Eclipse. Thank you for making time. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. I just did another listen through your new record. It's such an enjoyable journey. It covers a lot of ground, I think, sonically, metaphysically. Yeah. <laughs> Something that, that stood out when I was reading some of the material about the record, one of the first things that stood out was a reference to 11 years in the making. Mm, yes. I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about what that means both practically, like were you literally working on music for 11 years and sort of developmentally? I mean, a, a lot of life and career and artistic development happens in 11 years. And so what's that all about? Okay, I'm going to back up even a little more because... It's always been like a goal of mine to to have a record out under like my own name, like with my own band as a band leader. So that's where that started 11 years ago. And the idea was percolating in the back of my mind. So I'd always, you know, maybe record myself improvising some things and be like, oh, maybe like this little bit of music could develop into a piece someday to like fit on this record that I'm going to make someday. You know, kind of like in that in that sense that there are these little incremental developments happening over the past decade. And yeah, like some of those pieces are on the album. Like the first, actually the first track, Caraway, came from me playing like a just improvised thing and just taking that little and just developing that theme over time. So we were set to record actually in March of 2020. Oh, which, of course. You know, as we all know, yeah. So that was a, a further delay. So we were ready by then. And, but then, of course, we couldn't be in person and all this stuff. That was actually, again, kind of another chance to even dig in further to, into the music and further develop some of those pieces and really think about what do I want to say I guess in 2020, I was just 30. So I was like, okay, I'm in my 30s now. I think I, I have this life experience and enough experience also as a musician, as a side person to really know what's going on in, in the music 
community and I'm actually ready to like say what I need to say. Was there an element of permissioning yourself or was it literally just having the the internal feeling of, okay, now's the time? Okay, well, we're really lucky in Canada because we have a lot of really great funding opportunities yeah. through our government. And I had gotten a grant to make a recording. So there was an impetus from that side of things that is like commissioning me to make this record. And so that was also like another kind of push that with the deadlines and everything. I mean, obviously the pandemic changed that as well, but to get things going and and get things into motion. Did you toy around at all with remote collaboration during the pandemic? I know you did some filmmaking, but did you work on music with other people during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And actually on the record, so there's a a guest, Joao Vraj, who plays accordion. He recorded everything remotely from Portugal. So yes, it did allow for those kinds of collaborations. And I think actually the pandemic was good in that sense to meet people and collaborate with people who aren't in your immediate geographical community. Yeah, lots of interesting opportunities came from that, which is, again, kind of a blessing in disguise. Have you at this point met everyone in person who's on your record? No, I still haven't met as well. That's incredible. <laughs> he's, I know. And it's so funny because he's constantly touring and he was set to come and play a show in Toronto with this great Portuguese singer that he plays with regularly. And if this was like one of the many waves of the pandemic and then kept getting canceled and delayed. And so I never got to meet him, although we did have plans to meet. So I'm actually hoping that we'll go to Portugal and play this music because the drummer on the album, Marito, is from Portugal. And at some point, I hope we'll make it there and play with Joao. Yeah, I would say the the time to go to Portugal from Canada is pretty much like October to May. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I understand correctly, you've been gigging, though, throughout the summer, and you've been performing this material in particular? Exactly. So we went on a cross-Canada tour, playing all the big jazz festivals throughout the country, playing the music from this album and a few other things. And it's kind of like a funny way to do it because most people, they put the album out and then they tour, but we toured and then put the album out. So slightly unconventional perhaps, but I think it was really good for us as a band to actually to get to play together a bunch and to introduce people to our music too and create a little bit of buzz before the album's out. And because now the album's out, I'm okay, on to the next project. What do I want to do next? What, if anything, could you say that you learned about the compositions from performing them live? Have they opened up differently or have they surprised you in any way? Absolutely. So there's one cover on the album, which is Segment by Charlie Parker. Which I love. Yeah, thank you. That that one's arranged by the vibraphonist in the group, Michael Davidson. And that one has, for some reason, transformed and is always so different when we play it live. And I think it just stems from everybody in the band being so open and being so like intuitive in their listening and just having this approach to the music that is creative. And the way at the best way I can describe what happens is sometimes there's like these tempo shifts and these feel shifts. The piece just takes off. And it's like I said, just different every time we perform it. 
That's exciting. And similarly, what, if anything, are you learning about your musical comrades? Oh, my gosh. I mean, spending two weeks on the road with people, (laughs) you see them every day. (laughs) It's you learn a lot. We learned that we all love food and we all love great food and good wine. So we spent a lot of time searching out, okay, we're in this city tonight. Like, where's the the hot spot to go for dinner or even for breakfast or for coffee? So that was so much fun just getting to know everybody in that sense and having that social aspect of, of being in a group. It's just so great. It's so funny how many musicians I've talked to, the conversation doesn't take long to turn to food. <laughs> you know what? I I thought about this a long time ago, and I, and I don't want this to come across any other way, but I get along well with people and musicians who are into food. And the musicians and people who like aren't into food... I don't know. There's like something different about the way they approach music. And I just, I just don't jive as well. That's funny. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. That's funny. Just for the fun of it, I'd love to explore that with you for a moment. What do you overlay on that? Is it an open mindedness? Is it a sense of adventure? Yeah. I think both of those things. It's just being open to just trying new things. And actually, a lot of the restaurants that we discovered throughout the country were places that actually don't have a set menu necessarily. So you have to kind of be ready to just eat what's in front of you and just go with it. So I think, yeah, I think it does come across in the music making, in the improv, and even like people's composition style, like just that openness of being able to just go somewhere that's a little less comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. I like the psychology of that. It's fascinating. It's fun. It is. Yeah. Another theme that I'm curious about is sort of the notion, and and it comes up repeatedly in in some of the the material about the record, is the idea of musical universe or creating a a, almost sense of place with the music. Could you unpack that a little bit for me? There's clearly a lot of intention behind that. I would love to understand a little bit about what you were going for there. Because this was so long in the making, I think the intention happened in the later stages when I had assembled the pieces that were going to be on this album and like the titles and everything of of each of the pieces. I think I approach a lot of my projects and my compositional kind of style with this sense of like, okay, I'm entering a house and there are all these rooms to explore. And each room might have a different character, different wallpaper, different paint color, different style of furniture. I really go deep in exploring each characteristic of all these different rooms. So for me, putting an album together, but even a composition together, I use that approach. And sometimes, you know, on on a smaller scale, a composition might just be like one room, but a composition might be like several rooms in this house that I'm imagining in, in my mind. 
but more in this space kind of theme. It's almost like its own little universe, right? With its own solar system. And each planet is like a room in it, in the sense that like each planet has its, its own little character and its own color or heat or cold or whatever it is that that, that planet is doing. What function does that sort of attitude play for you? Is it a framing device? Is it a way to is it a way to not have being overwhelmed by limitless possibilities? What is that? What does that do for you as an artist? I love the, the idea of limitless possibilities. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, give them all to me. So I think it does help me contain a sense of, like you were saying, like this a sense of place or like a universe that I can work within. I don't know if the album is perceived as, what do you call it? Like a concept album? But it is in the sense that every piece does belong to one place, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it does help me keep things contained to a certain extent. It's very interesting that you bring up the notion of a concept album because my listeners will be familiar with this theme from other instrumental artists I've spoken with, some of whom utilize an intentional sort of conceptual framework or even a narrative framework, I think as a way to provide a lot of the same sort of scaffolding that I think you're referring to for composition or to as, a, as an organizing principle, maybe. And along those lines, something that comes up a lot that I, I love to ask instrumental artists is what role do the song titles play? And at what point in the process do the song titles come up? And before I let you answer, I'll say I've heard things on a spectrum from some people start with a song title and they actually compose to the narrative that that implies for them. And other people are very dismissive of the song titles, almost to the point of like, yeah, we just these are funny things to call the songs or they're somewhat evocative, but they don't mean that much. And I, I wonder where you sit on that. For me, it's a mix of, of both of those things. I think for some of the pieces, like, for example, Caraway, I was in Montreal eating a bagel that was covered in caraway seeds. I was like, oh my God, this is so delicious. I just went home and that was the name of the piece. <laughs> and then some of them, I do write like the title first on the page. And then I, I guess I use it as inspiration to just keep focused in, in a theme. Sometimes those titles stick and sometimes they actually change because by the end of the composition, I'm like, you know what? This isn't really conveying what I originally titled it as, but it's actually giving me this idea of this other thing, which then I'll title it that. And then, yeah, it's just, it's really, it ranges actually from piece to piece. And I do tend, I think though, to title things first and then think of where that's going, but they do often change. So it's, yeah, it's hard to answer a question because a lot of people are like, oh, like what influenced this piece and this title? And it's like, yeah, sometimes you're right. You, you just don't necessarily give it that much thought or it just happens and it's just, that's just what it ends up being called. If I may, I'd love to know, I'd love to ask where the line aliens or pieces of wind came from. Cause that's, it's such, it's very beautiful and evocative. And I'm curious about that. And the sign, it, it fits the music, obviously. It came from the idea of watching, there's the show Ancient Aliens on TV. <laughs> I sometimes watch, oftentimes in hotel rooms when there's nothing else good on. 
just noticing how much aliens are portrayed as almost human-like with eyes and a mouth and a nose and arms and hands. And a lot of the times they're green or, you know, like just thinking about the way that the media conveys this idea of how the extraterrestrial life might look like. I'm just like, no, 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 no. We have no idea what this other thing might be or look like. And our brains don't even have the capacity to be able to see them if they're around or just really going into the extreme of we just don't have the capacity to imagine what another life form might look like from a completely different universe. So this is one possibility. Yeah. This is one possibility. And the thing is wind, you can't see wind. So yeah. Along those lines or, or adjacent to those lines, if I'm understanding correctly, there are these themes of this interplay of inner and outer space across the record and the, and the exploration of both. And I wonder, beyond the music itself, are you comfortable articulating at all what you're playing with these themes has to say about your cosmology or your worldview? Are these things you're wrestling with or do you have a coherent cosmology for yourself? I don't know if it's coherent, but it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's not for me to judge. <laughs> no, it is, it's something I think about a lot, but it's not something that I've done a ton of research on. But I am very interested in in planets and, and furthermore, like interested in sea life and like what's under in our oceans that we haven't really explored much yet. So just that idea of the unknown and and for me, just like exploring different elements of our planet, but also beyond our planet. It's just a curiosity for me. It's not that much deeper. It's just a little something that I'm interested in. And hopefully I'm not belaboring the, this point, but could you talk a little bit about how that all then fits into the ensemble name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Etoile Magique, it means magic star. And I think for me, it's like the idea of the magical part of it is like this, maybe this innocence or this ignorance almost of my understanding of what is in space and like all the different planets and asteroids and, and all these things. To me, it's so magical in the sense that I don't have this deep, deep knowledge, scientific knowledge about all that stuff. So it, it all seems very magical. And stars, we look at stars and they sparkle. And it's, to me, again, just so magical. But it's also very scientific. That's why I like those two words together. And it happens to be a mathematical equation as well. That's just accidental, but I liked that it was that because it just gave a, a little extra meaning to the name. And it's, I'm not going to do a great job of explaining it, but it has something to do. It has to be a five-pointed star and you assign numbers to each of the lines. And when you add them up, they always have the same sum. It's just the, this other like mathematical equation that is assigned the word magic. And for me, like math and magic also don't really go together. So I just thought that was pretty neat. We'll be back with more Spotlight on. If you like what you've heard so far, please share us with a friend and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. 
For past episodes, web-only exclusives, and to join our mailing list, visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. And now, back to Spotlight On. Something else that really stands out with the record is the use of some post-production work or techniques. As a listener, I don't know how much I would have caught had it not been specifically called out in some of the narrative about the record. But with that said, the flourishes are there. And there's an atmospheric nature to the record where there are moments where I feel like, oh, I'm, this is like firmly rooted in the tradition. I recognize it as almost, and I'm sorry to actually do this in front of the artist, but there's a like a maybe a 70s fusion element. You know, it sounds as part of a tradition, I guess, extending yeah. from there. And then other times, the more emotive, expansive, the use of like synth pads or, or things of that nature, the, the swelling nature of it. And I wonder, how do you contextualize that as an improvisational musician? Like, how do you put guardrails around that or rules or, I don't know, I, I, I'm struggling to articulate the question. I know it's not fair for you, but no, no, it's great. It's a different toolbox. Mm-hmm. It is. Than simple improvisation. And I wonder, like, how do you think about using all the palettes? I've always been fascinated with actually using studio time in that sense because it's such a different experience recording in a studio, playing in a studio, than playing live. The advantage of the studio is that you can layer things at a later time. In the moment, sometimes when you're performing or even in a studio, you're, you're playing and you're like, oh, I, I actually can hear this other thing happening, but I can't do it all. It's just not possible when you're doing it live. That's just for me the magic of the studio and the power of the studio. And using it that way can enhance certain things and elevate certain things in a way that is just not possible live. There's one piece called Rose du Ciel where, okay, it's not quite a synth, but it's Michael played bowed vibes, just a, a whole track of bowed vibes throughout the whole piece. And then in the studio, we just manipulated a bit of that sound and boosted some of the overtones and just mixed it in a way that is just this underlying layer that's just giving us this sense of warmth that's just emanating underneath everything else that's happening. I just love that kind of feeling when I'm listening, especially with headphones, where you could really get into the sounds and discover every time you listen again, you might discover like another layer that's there that you might not have perceived actually upon first listen. So those kinds of things are, are really special to me. And using the studio in that way, it's really fun also. It's a, such a fun process. Do you currently or do you foresee incorporating any of that into the live presentation? Can you, would you trigger things or add another synthesizer player? Like, how does that integrate into live? We haven't in this tour that we did. We just did it, you know, with our instruments. But we were thinking about maybe in the future, if there was a way to to have a synth, especially on something like segment, because it it's such a vibe having that synth sound play those chords right off the top and it's something that we could easily just loop until we start soloing or something so 
just to give it that extra little boost of, again, it's all about the vibe. It's a very exciting moment in, I think, improv music because there's definitely a convergence of improvisational music and electronics. There's no real points for being a purist at this point. And and there's so much interesting sonic possibility if you're willing to incorporate some of that. also ask about some of your other interests or concerns and in particular your work and enthusiasm around sort of the economics of the business and economic justice i wonder if you could talk a little bit about how did you come to have an awareness of the disparities i get I, I would assume to a certain extent it's glaring but not everyone stops long enough to adopt a concern for it. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your history with that issue. Yeah, absolutely. It's being in a, in a big city like Toronto, it really becomes apparent the longer you're here. <laughs> I really noticed, I don't know, maybe out of school perhaps, like how little people in such a large city go out and pay money to see art. And it's not just music, it's dance, visual arts, whatever it is, music for me. Be, I'm going to talk about music because that's my most familiar community. But just a, a city of this size and you go out and see amazing music happen almost every night. And there's either other musicians there or there's no one there. A lot of these gigs aren't supported by the venues either in the sense that the venue, yes, it's providing a space or the performance to happen, but the venue isn't doing any work to promote or to pay the artists that are coming through their doors. It's unsustainable. They're not able to support themselves and they're not able to afford living in a city like Toronto, which is known for its culture and its diversity. But there's this disconnect. Sure, you go, you can go see big artist names and there's it's going to be sold out and there's lots of people there. But I always wonder, okay, but why aren't these people like out supporting like the local artists? Why is it so hard for them to justify paying $10, $20 once a month, even once every three months to go out and be like a local show? So for me, spreading the awareness of that became a little bit of a goal. I think this was in 2018, I put together a music series that was highlighting women instrumentalist band leaders. And part of that was that I wanted to actually open the accessibility to people who actually might not be able to afford going to concerts. So I wanted to be able to open the doors to people. And so some people paid more money who could afford it and some people paid less money or, or nothing if they really couldn't afford it everybody was able to to experience the concert. 
was it a voluntary like i would offer to pay more to subsidize someone else like how did that work not necessarily i had set up a what's it called kickstarter campaign type thing through that is where i said if you want you can pay for someone else's ticket or you can pay for someone partial ticket or whatever and it was great people were into it so that's how that happened you asked the question of to paraphrase you, I apologize, but basically like why aren't people spending the 10 or $20 to go out once in a while to see local music? And we could attach all kinds of qualitative words to that, right? There's sometimes it's more interesting. Sometimes it's even more surprising to learn that there's incredible musicians, you know, maybe sitting next to you on, on the Metro and you wouldn't know it if you didn't go out. What, what have you learned about the why? I mean, it's really interesting. I live right uh, on a street called Queen Street in one of the busiest parts of our city. It's busy in the sense that there are a few places where people will line up for hours to get into a club or a restaurant or whatever it is. There's like a sense of like a spectacle and they want to be at the place that everyone else is and they want to be seen they take their phone out and take pictures of themselves in those places. And, and it's almost like checking a box. It's like, okay, I did it. I, I went to that super trendy place. Now everybody can see that I did the thing. Truthfully, I've been to some of those places and I'm like, this really is nothing special. It's just a very expensive way to spend a night. And I think people are missing the point of the experience and missing the point of spontaneity. And the idea that, hey, there's this music venue that has music every day. Let's just go see what's happening there. People aren't open to that. And I think people have become so concerned financially, which is understandable, that they're like, okay, I'm setting aside $200 for a Saturday night outing. And that's it. And people will go and have a fancy dinner and drinks. And that's their spending for the week or even sometimes for the month. They like limit themselves in what they're wanting to do, even though it's only going to cost $10 to go and experience something that might change your life, literally. Yeah. (laughs) They're just not willing to go there. What's the path out of that? Honestly, it's something I think about so much and I don't have an answer but I think it comes down to potentially two things perhaps education for young children and in just teaching them about spontaneity and teaching them about the benefits of experiences Mm. and the benefits of arts and culture and sharing arts and culture the second thing is Yes, we have a lot of funding support from the government, but we don't have visibility support from the government. So artists can put on events and have the budget to put on the event, but then it's hard to get people to come out because there's only so much an individual artist can do to promote their event. So almost a separate the need for almost like a separate media fund or a promotion fund that you could apply to in addition to your creative grant. Yeah, yeah. We have to almost teach people that it's worthwhile to go and be there and experience something, especially if they don't know who you are and they don't know what you do. So 
it's a huge challenge. And I'm not saying that it's specific to Toronto. It's happening, I think, globally, although there are some places, I think, that are doing a little better. Yeah, I'm curious, specific to Toronto, are there venues as someone interested in, say, left of center music that you know if it's booked there and I buy a ticket, it's probably going to be, at the very least, it's going to be interesting. Do you have those type of venues? Because we we have a few here in Seattle that for sure, if you just, if you buy the ticket or some of the places are still donation-based where there's an envelope and whatever money you leave goes directly to the artist, you're pretty much guaranteed to be somewhere on the spectrum of entertained or challenged, you know, if that's what you're going out for. And that's exciting. I don't need to know who this artist is. If it looks interesting, it's probably going to be. Do you have those outlets? We do. We have a, an amazing space called the Transact. It is like a pay what you can situation. I spend a lot of time there because I'm interested in seeing what people are doing. And it's multi-generational. Like some, sometimes it's people who are still studying and sometimes it's veterans and it's super broad range of, of experiences that you can get when you go to the Transact. And it's really hit or miss in terms of audience. So it's, it's a challenge to get people to think that it's, it's okay to go and spend time in a place that's presenting something and to be okay with a, an experience that, like you said, sometimes it's going to be perhaps uncomfortable because you, you don't know what you're stepping into. And I've been in that situation a few times where I've been like, you know what, this really isn't my cup of tea, but I'm so glad I'm here because I'm learning about myself and I'm learning about what people are doing around in this community. Yeah, I find that sometimes it's enough to say, well, that was interesting. Like it was a good use of 90 minutes. I'm happy that this person gets to do that thing. It's not something I want all the time, but like hats off to them and they need to be enabled to do that. <laughs> exactly. Because artists, we need those spaces to be able to progress, right? And we need those spaces in order to develop. So it's so important. And obviously, like you're, you're doing this of your own willingness of, of craving, perhaps, these experiences of going out and seeing that and, and not necessarily passing judgment, but being like, that was interesting, but maybe I don't need to, do, to see that again. But just by you being there as an audience or me being there as an audience and experiencing what that person is presenting, it just allows the scene to function and, and to thrive and to continue and, and people to try things out, which is so important. I think one of the beautiful things about music is also something that also makes the sort of experiencing it as an unknown or unfamiliar music makes it a challenge, which is if you were to go to, say, an art walk or a gallery or whatever it was, and it was free and you were just walking around and looking at art, it wouldn't bother you if you didn't like the art or if it didn't resonate for you, you'd say, all right, well, that's cool. Like, you know, whatever. And then you'd have, it would be fine. But if you go somewhere and see music, even if it's free and you don't like it, you leave with a different, I mean, not obviously I'm painting with a broad brush, but 
I know I've had that experience and I know I've witnessed that experience of people almost being like offended by not liking music in a way that other art doesn't, you can, it it rolls off you. And I don't know if it's part of the sensory sort of overload of music or people's expectation, but it's an interesting differentiator how people do have a different experience of music than they do other arts. It's so true. And it's something that I haven't actually thought that much about, but I But you make such a good point. And it's interesting because I'm thinking about the museums here that are available in Toronto and and there's like a free night and it's always packed with people that people are so excited. I don't know if it's because it's free or because it's the museum. It's something to do. And you're right. You can walk in and walk out and not be that affected by it. But for some reason, going to see music and really disliking what you're hearing, it stays with you longer. It's like, a like yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a more full body experience. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, I can think of shows that I saw. And I'm dating myself here, but I can think of shows I saw in the 1980s that I'm still mad about. <laughs> well, I mean... It's good that like you're never going to forget those experiences. So maybe there is some positivity in there. I don't know. Somewhere. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just spoiled. I want to know what, what it was. Well, I, I'm embarrassed to uh, it, maybe off mic. I've been the same, regardless of genre, I've been the same type of music fan my whole life, which is I will go see almost anything once. Again, even if I don't love the music, I'm curious about what the artist is going how it's going to be presented and like how it might be different that sets you up sometimes first of all it sets you up for amazing discovery but it also sets you up for like eh, eh, it's not better than i thought (laughs) yeah it's that's very true but that's okay you know So you opened the door earlier to something that I wanted to ask you about, which was you said you're starting to think about what's next. And I wonder how developed is your thinking and what's next? And is it with this ensemble or do you have a completely new concept? Is this ensemble your main creative outlet now? What's going on now? Definitely want to continue writing for this ensemble and develop some more ensemble stuff. I'm hoping to get more of the people in the band to write music for it as well. But currently I'm actually working on something different, which is a songwriting project of both French and English songs, just delving into more of my family roots, I suppose. My mom is from Quebec and just learning more about my cultural background. I was very lucky to get an artist residency in Georgia, near Atlanta, called the Hambridge Art Center, and spent some time there about a year ago. And that's where I discovered this thrill of writing words and music and putting them together. And that's kind of where that started. Yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing on that. Atlanta is such a vibrant town. 
It's really incredible. I was just there a few weeks ago and I hadn't been in a long time. And it's a wonderful place. It's a very special place. It's very interesting. I didn't get to spend very much time in the city, but it was so interesting talking to people about going there and people being one or the other, like Atlanta is a terrible place. Don't spend any time there. It's dangerous. It's whatever. And then on the other side, people being like, it's such a vibrant place. You have to spend time there. Like it was so funny just in retrospect, thinking about it, just how divided it seems people are about the city. It's fascinating. It reminded me a little bit. I was also recently in Washington, D.C., and both places gave me the feeling of being in an environment where, you know, and and in America, this is it's a complex discussion, but both of those cities have a wonderful feeling of black culture and black entrepreneurship and just a, a vibrancy of the black community that, quite honestly, I just don't I don't see a lot as a northerner and it felt great to be surrounded by that influence and to not have it so separate and segregated the way it feels like in other parts of the country and it's in the air like you can feel it you can feel the business ownership you can feel it in even just as a casual observer looking at like advertisements for nightlife like it's really incredible it's really incredible it's something to actually feel optimism about (laughs) If you're looking for something. (laughs) You're so right. And I definitely had that experience as well because Toronto is super diverse, but it is quite separated, especially I would say in the music community. There's, it is somewhat diverse, but it's not that diverse. I've spent a fair amount of time in Toronto over the years, and I've always thought of Montreal as much more multicultural. And I feel like I missed out on elements of Toronto. It's a beautiful city, but I never really felt the arts and culture the way I, it just, it seems more apparent everywhere in Montreal. There's just a little bit of a different vibe. Maybe it's the the sort of faux European nature of Montreal, but yeah. I think it, I think it is. I mean, I I grew up in Montreal. So going from Montreal to Toronto, there is quite a, a difference of just available culture at your fingertips. Like, Montreal has, you pay higher taxes, but you get like this little card that you present at museums and things and and you get in for free or you get in for a discount. Um, There's just more in place to promote people going out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Well, thank you for spending time and exploring some of these topics with me. I, I very much enjoy the album and look forward to promoting it. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for such such a great conversation. I'm really for that. Thank you so much, Alin Hamzi. As always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host and executive producer, Lawrence Purrier. We're produced and edited by Michael Donaldson with theme music by Cuburn's Abstract Message. For past episodes, web-only exclusives, to make a donation to support our production and to join our mailing list, visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Be safe and stay in touch.
Now stick around for the track Circa Herself by Aline's Etoile Magique from their debut album, Eclipse. Eclipse. 